I gave Molly 20 grams of talium the night before she died. I put it in a trifle. I knew she would die the next day because I gave her so much. This was Graham Young and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. Graham Frederick Young was born in Middlesex, September 7, 1947, to Fred and Molly. He had an older sister, Winifred, and his mother, Molly, died when he was just over three months old. Fred couldn't cope with the children, so Young went to his aunt and uncles, and his sister, Winifred, went to their grandparents. Fred, the father, remarried years later after, Mo after Molly had died. And he married to another Molly, and he took back his kids, reuniting the family. At a very early age, Young became really interested in poisons and what they did. He read about Hitler and Nazis, and his hero was Victorian poisoner, the Prince of Poisoners, William Palmer. 1959, he began grammar school and started reading advanced toxicology. 1961, Young was able to get antimony from a chemist. Antimony is a lead alloy used in batteries. The chemist said Young's vast knowledge of chemistry and poisons had him believed he was much older than what he was. And although not professional, he seemed to know what he was doing. Young signed the poison register as M.E. Evans. He started poisoning his stepmother, father, and sister. In February, uh, in February, Molly, the stepmother, was vomiting. She had diarrhea and really bad stomach pains. Then his father had similar symptoms, followed by his sister. And then, even Young himself became violently ill. The mysterious illness it was thought of as first also happened outside the home with Young's friends reporting similar symptoms. November 1961, Young came to his sister with a nice warm cup of tea. But when she tasted it, she found it sour and dumped it after one mouthful. She left for the train to go to work, and while on the train, she began to hallucinate. She had to be carried off the train and was sent to the hospital, where doctors concluded she somehow had been exposed to poison. They pinned the poison to deadly nightshade, which is a toxic herb plant. When Fred found out Winifred had been poisoned, he confronted Young, who blamed Winifred, saying she, was, she used a teacup to mix shampoo and didn't wash it properly. Fred didn't buy it and searched room, uh, Young's room. Finding nothing, he was angered and warned him to be careful messing with chemicals. April 21st, 1962, it is Easter Saturday, and Molly, the stepmother, dies. Her death was said to be from a prolapsed cervical disc, which sounds awful, and it's believed she got this from a road accident. Later, much later in fact, Young said to police he poisoned her with thallium. At her wake, Young wasn't done and poisoned a relative after lacing a jar of pickles with antimony. After that, his father got really sick and had to go to hospital. Here he was told he had antimony poison and if he had one more dose, he'd be dead. Young's aunt started to connect the dots between his obsession and people close to him falling ill. 
His science teacher also grew suspicious and snooped in Young's desk, finding several bottles of poison. So this teacher then went to the headmaster and they got a psychiatrist that they told Young was a career advisor and they had a chat. Once he found out Young's knowledge of poison and toxicology, he called the police. May 23rd, 1962, Young was walking home from school when police came up and arrested him. Searching him, they found vials of thallium and antimony. In questioning, he confessed to poisoning his father, stepmother, sister and friend, Chris Williams. Dr. Fish, a psychiatrist, testified Young as a psychopathic disorder and no moral sense. He went on to say Young will reoffend, a referencing a chat he had with Young, in which Young said he missed his antimony and the power it gave him. Fish recommended Young go to Broadmoor Hospital, a place for patients with mental disorders who committed offences. Young pled guilty to poisoning his father, sister and friend Chris Williams. He was in charge for his stepmother's murder because the autopsy didn't list the cause of death as poisoning. Young was sent to Broadmoor as recommended and was not to be released for 15 years without approval of the Home Secretary. When he walked into Broadmoor, Young was 14 years old and he is amongst the youngest inmate ever to be in Broadmoor, the youngest being 10. From stepping into Broadmoor, more poisoning incidents happened. After Young's arrival, John Berridge, an inmate, died of cyanide poisoning. Young was a suspect, especially because he took great delight explaining in detail how a person can extract cyanide from laurel leaves, which Broadmoor's grounds were covered in. But his involvement couldn't be proven. Later, Harpic, which is a toilet cleaner, so like bleach, it was found in a nurse's coffee and sugar soap was found in a tea urn. In Broadmoor, Young continued to read about medicine, toxicology and Nazis. In 1965, he applied for a release. At the tribunal, his father and sister attended, saying no one in their family would house Young. Fred, the father, also said his son should never be released. The application was rejected. June 1970, we are now eight years at Broadmoor. A psychiatrist of the prison called Edgar Erdwin wrote to the Home Secretary recommending release. He said Young was no longer obsessed with poisons, wasn't violent or mischievous. He also said he wasn't a danger to others. But a nurse said Young told her when, not if, but when he was he would get out. He will kill a person for every year he was in Broadmoor. So he's already at eight. So in February 1971, someone thought it was a good idea to release Young, and someone with power agreed, so Young was set free. Now free, he first lived with his sister Winifred, and out in the free world, Young's poison interest began again. He tried for poison at the pharmacy John Bell and Croden, but he was refused without written approval like a prescription. So Young left empty-handed, but came back with a Bedford College prescription for 25 grams of Atimani potassium tartrate. It's to treat a disease by a parasite. Young said it was for a quality and quantity study he was doing. He also came back later to get 25 grams of thallium. 
He started a course in storekeeping, which had him stay in a hostel near Kippingham. Here he befriended Trevor Sparks, and the pair went drinking together. On February 10th, Sparks became very ill, vomiting, diarrhea, pins and needles. All happened after drinking water Young gave him. For the next few months, he got the symptoms on and off. In the football match, he he was so sick he had to come off the pitch. Doctors, consultants and specialists couldn't pinpoint a cause. He was said to have a kidney infection, a bowel infection, urinary tract infection and stomach infection. Sparks would move away in April 1971 and gradually he got better. Young got a job at John Hadlin Laboratories in Hertfordshire as an assistant storekeeper. The company made thallium bromide iodine infrared lenses. These were used in military, but no thallium was stored on site. So Young got his poison elsewhere at a, Lon- at a London chemist. On the application, Young said he studied chemistry and toxicology. He explained his lack of employment history was due to a nervous breakdown from his mother's tragic death in a car accident. Employers of Young were told about his Broadmoor stint, but were never told about his poisoning. Young's probation officer also never ever visited him, not at home or at work. So nobody knew what he was doing and nobody came to check up on him. His colleagues would say he was a bit hot and cold. One day he wanted to be alone, not wanting to talk to anyone, and the next day he was all cheery, chatty and clingy. Young's duties included collecting drinks from a tea trolley and taking them to the storeroom. Every employer and employee had their own distinctive cup, which made it very easy for Young to poison his attended victim. Once he entered Hadland, co-workers became ill. Young would slip atomani or thallium into tea or coffee. After this, the victims became uh, became violently ill, vomiting, having stomach pains, nausea and diarrhea. At first, it was thought to be a virus, a bug, and it even had a name, the bovidon bug. Other thoughts was contaminated water or radiation from a disused airfield. So in Hadlin was storeroom manager Bob Eggle, and he was Young's superior. Eggle was fascinating to Young as Eggle was a Dunkirk veterinarian. Veterinarian? Veteran. In June, Young started to poison Eggle. Eggle would have severe stomach pains and diarrhea. Eggle had weeks holidays and recovered slowly. When he came back, Young put a lethal dose of thallium in his tea. Eggle got really, really sick this time with intense back pains and numbness in his fingers and feet. He ended up in the ICU with powerless set in. 7th of July 1971, Eckel died. A postmortem found Eckel's death was down to a rare form of polyneurosis called Guillain-Barrier syndrome. With Egil gone, Young targeted Egil's assistant, Ron Hewitt. He poisoned Ron's tea with atomony. He thought he though left for a different job soon after this. With Egil dead and Hewitt moved on, Young became head storeman for a time. 
with extra responsibilities, the poisonings, the poisonings were limited to co-worker Diana Smart, who was poisoned lightly when she bugged or annoyed Young. October 8, 1971, Young put thallium uh, acetate into David Tilson's tea. The first tea was too sweet. Young was a bit heavy-handed with the sugar to mask the thallium taste, so Tel uh, Tilson didn't drink it. A week later, another thallium tea. This time, Tilson drank it, and he ended up in hospital with numbness to his legs. He also couldn't breathe and had severe chest pains. His skin was so sensitive and was in so much pain, a light bed sheet would send him screaming in agony. All his hair also fell out. He thankfully recovered. Next, young poisoned co-worker Jethro Bat. Young was actually friends with Bat, and Young poisoned him two times with four grams of thallium, which was enough to kill him. He drank a coffee made by Young, but found it very strong, so didn't drink it all. But what he did take landed him in hospital. He had stomach pains, chest pains, and his hair fell out. He would also become suicidal from the poisoning, but did recover. Part-time, part-timer Fred Biggs was next. Young poisoned him with antimony. On October 30th, 1971, Young gave three doses of thallium acetate into Biggs's tea. Next day, Biggs couldn't walk and had chest pains. Days later, he was in hospital. His central nervous system was shutting down. He couldn't speak and had breathing problems. His skin began to peel off. On November 19, 1971, Fred Biggs died. Management at Hadlands were growing worried with all these sick employees, so they launched an investigation. Suspicion fell on Young. He was noticed to never have been affected, so maybe he was the virus carrier, as once thought. His unhealthy interests in poisons were brought to management. The firm's doctor, Ian Anderson, ruled out heavy metal poisoning, which had young blow up, insisting it was heavy metal poisoning. This blow up had Anderson quiz young. He quickly found out the extent young knew, and Anderson reported back to John Hadlin, the owner, and he called the police. The police quickly put together this bug, the Bovindadun bug, began when Young arrived at the company. So they looked more into Young and his past. November 20th, 1971, Young was arrested. He denied any involvement, but when police led him away, his aunt heard him ask, which one are you doing me for? Police searched his bedsit and found a lot of poisons, including thallium and antimony. His lodgings were covered in swastikas, Hitler pictures and Nazi stuff. Police also found a detailed diary noting the dose, effects and whether or not he'd let the person live or die. Young confessed to poisoning Egel, Biggs, Bat, Tilson and Sparks. Young also confessed to using different poisons to confuse doctors. When asked why he poisoned friends, he said he came to see them as test subjects, guinea pigs. Young was charged with two counts murder, two attempted, and four counts administrating poison with intent to injure or cause grievous bodily harm.
He pled not guilty, so needed a lawyer, which was really difficult to find him one. Eventually, Arthur Irvin would represent him. The trial began June 19, 1972. With safeguards in place, the jury weren't told of his previous poison convictions. Young took back his first confession, saying he only said it to get some rest. But it didn't matter, the evidence was really strong against him. 75 witnesses testified against Young. There was one witness, witness to testify for Young, himself. Young kept a diary and it was read in the trial with Young claiming it was all fantasy. June 29, 1972, one hour and 38 minutes and the jury found him guilty. Young asked to be sent to prison, not Broadmoor. This was approved and he was sentenced to life at HM Prison Park Lane, later being moved to Ashworth Hospital. Here his cell was regularly searched and he was regularly moved as he could make a poison from any common items with no antidote. At some stage he read a medical journal about a new drug in the US that looked to be able to help him. He was given a two week course and seemed to be improving. But when effects wore off, Young asked for the dose to be increased, so it was. But this was all a plot by Young, because he then told his attorney he was being overdosed, so he was moved to Parkhurst. Young died in prison August 1st, 1990, and the cause of death was myocardial infraction. With no history of heart problems, it's thought he may have offed himself with his own hand or was killed by someone in prison who feared him. From his death though, change did come. More safeguards were introduced regarding the release of mentally ill offenders. From then on, patients in a special hospital who want to be discharged now need two psychiatrists to weigh in. And that is the story of Graham Young, the teacup poisoner. Hit that like button. If you're not subscribed, please get subscribed. Ring the hell out of that little bell and join me next time for the story of Bessie Coleman, the first African-American woman and first Native American to hold a pilot license. She became known for her high profile piloting in dangerous air shows across the US, having her be called Queen Bess. Her dream was to start a school for African-American flyers would she achieve this? This was the good, the bad, and the pure evil.